I want to uh, really greet you for Christmas. Christmas is a very special time. Sadly, it's become a secular festival, but it should be for what it is, a spiritual experience because we're remembering that God loved us enough to send his son to live amongst us. And Christmas, yes, it really, Christmas is the mass celebrating Christ, but we don't do it with a mass, but we do it with thankfulness in our hearts for God's great love. Uh, for greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, and that's what Jesus did. Christmas is a reminder of God's love. God bless you. Have a happy, wonderful Christmas. I shall with my family. Now, we're still continuing in James. Uh, last message was uh, extremely interesting. I, I must admit, with the last message, I myself found it extremely interesting. It's only when you really study the Scripture that you begin to get to what's behind it, and I found it was certainly um, very interesting. Now, I'm in chapter 4 of James, and I'm still in the New International Version because Somehow, the, the way that this is written, I find, is a lot clearer in the uh, newer version than in the original English. So, right with chapter 4. Um, I've got a heading in my Bible, which is, Submit Yourselves to God. <laughs> and that really is the theme of this, is submitting to the Lord, submission. You know, I don't think we fully understand um, the importance of submission because so often if you're, if, if you're in a fight with two men, um, one does not want to submit to the other but defeat that person. And um, I could even go into Scripture because uh, the most famous uh, fight between God and man was with Jacob when he wrestled with God. And when it came to the morning that neither side prevailed and God actually had to touch Jacob's thigh and cripple him, you know, when you're wrestling, uh, that put him out of action. But James starts off in the first verse by saying, what causes fights and quarrels? Hmm. <laughs> oh, dear, this is, a, this is an enormous subject. And yes, it's in families, it's in businesses, it's in the church. That's what James is inferring here. What is the origin of fighting and quarreling. And he says, and this is James's reasoning, don't they come from desires within you that are fighting? And you know, I'm sure you're aware of this. A lot of fighting is within ourselves. There is a battle going on, good against evil. Do we do this or do we do that? 
It's a battle that sometimes in our choosing, in our choice, has to be fought on a regular basis. We have to choose. Why? Well, James says that part of the battle is because we want something and we can't get it. Mm. <laughs> this opens up a whole lot. This is very interesting because he says, you want something and you can't get it. You covet what somebody else has. And you know, covetousness is forbidden in the scripture. It says, don't covet anything that your neighbor's got from his wife to his car. Don't covet. But he says here, don't kill because you cannot have what you want. And then he goes on to the spiritual side because what he's saying is you quarrel and you fight, but you don't have what you want. And when I was studying this in preparation for speaking, I was quite intrigued and interested with the argument that James is using when he says in verse 3, when you ask, the reason you don't receive is because you don't ask God. <laughs> you know, it's, it's very interesting because in my life, I've always tended to take counsel from God and ask him. <laughs> Even when I was young and I started work and... Uh, uh, working in a bank in London. Of course, we had to dress very formally in those days. <laughs> you couldn't dress casually. You had to have a, uh, a smart suit and a shirt and a tie and a few other things. But the thing was, and looking back, I'm quite amazed at myself because I used to actually, I didn't ask my mother <laughs> or my father. Uh, you may find that strange, but I didn't, and I didn't ask my brother. I'm just thinking at the moment, and I can self still see myself going into the shop, looking in the shop window, and going in the shop. And I certainly wasn't asking my mother, my father, my brother what I should get. Even in those days, I asked to ask the Lord. <laughs> it's quite funny, really, when I think back and say, Lord, just show me which is the best that I should get. And the interesting thing was that whenever I submitted the choice to the Lord, I always seemed to end up with the best. And, you know, this has been quite significant all my life that um, if I'm desiring the best things, yes, God will supply them. Because he says here in verse 3, uh, in verse uh, in verse 2, it, it, it's a question you don't have because you don't ask God. In other words, that, that, sorry, that's verse 3. When you ask, you don't receive uh, because you're not asking God, but you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Mm. Have you thought about this? 
One, there are two reasons why you don't get what you want. One, because you're not asking God. And secondly, because you're asking with the wrong motives. Because you want something simply for your own pleasure. I mean, what we're looking at here is spiritual issues. And spiritual issues are so important uh, that we look at things from a spiritual perspective, not just material. <laughs> it's quite funny because um, if I give you a very simple illustration, this one will surprise you. Come on, are you ready to be shocked? Um, I... I, 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 I wasn't being paid very well. I was full-time in ministry and evangelism, and so many uh, do suffer financially. And uh, I could only travel with old cars, and uh, they would break down, and it ended up. I can think of more than one occasion where I've ended up at my preaching appointment on the back of a tow truck, literally. On one occasion, I was supposed to preach in a church. I broke down, and uh, I called the breakdown service, and the miracle was, and this is how God does interfere, the miracle was the guy that drove the breakdown truck was a member of the church where I was due to preach, and he literally took my broken-down car to, to the church. But in the end, that was actually after I came out of prison. Um, people don't realize the difficulties I had because my family weren't supported in the prison. And when I came out, I, I didn't have any money at all. And anyway, it was difficult. But the thing is this, that eventually, after going through a period of these broken-down cars, I decided that I would have to get a better one. And I went to a dealer looking for a second-hand car and um, found one that I liked, that the dealer apparently had. Um, but the strange thing is, when it got down to buying it, it was already sold. Somebody else had it, and I couldn't have the car. And I entered into a a conversation with the Lord, and it's like the Lord was talking to me. And um, what he was saying was, now, that car was, um, again, a second-hand car. It wasn't new, and it would have had the responsibilities. And it's like the Lord said, now, if you could really choose, and it's so strange because it's so fitting with this, that the Lord was actually saying to me, now, if you could choose, what would you really do in your circumstances? And that's, well, oh, I wouldn't buy another old second-hand car. I'd buy a new one. The amazing thing was, that's exactly what I did. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting because it wasn't just because I wanted to show off with a new car, but simply because of all the traveling I was doing, thousands of kilometers, miles, whatever it is, um, I really needed something reliable. I remember that um, when I went to Jerusalem the first time, you know the story, how I was the first person to go overland all the way from 
England to Jerusalem to attend that conference at Pentecost. And I made the decision then, uh, this was long before my imprisonment and so on, but I made the decision then, if I was going to make that journey, I could not do it in an old car. It had to be new because all the difficulties we're going to go through, if we didn't go in a reliable one, then we wouldn't have just trouble with customs and, and borders and police and communists and thieves and so on. We'd have trouble that it would break down. It's the same thing. It wasn't simply because I wanted that, but it became logical. And I asked God to provide it. And God did. And, of course, that was to change my life. In verse 4, he comes onto something very different. He says, you adulterous people. Oof. And if you look in the authorized version, it really does emphasize this on adultery. But in this case, what's he talking about? No, he's not talking about marriage. He's not talking about simply relationships between men and women. He goes right and hits the nail on the head. Come on. Because he actually says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred to God? Oh, Christian, you can't love one and the other. The scripture actually says you can't serve God and mammon. And here it is. James likens this to adultery in a marriage. And it's not the marriage. It's your relationship with God. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? In the next verse, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, this is strong language. And I want to remind people that you cannot, this, James says it's like adultery, that you cannot have friendship with the world and God. Or in verse 5, do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit, the Spirit that he caused to live in us envies intensely? Wow, I've never seen this before in Scripture. Mm. That the Holy Spirit in us, which is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, is envious. Wow. I think this is very strong language. God doesn't like it. We have to choose. We have to choose one or the other. You either choose God or you choose the world. But he gives us more grace, verse 6. And that's why in verse 7, the scripture says here very, very clearly, submit yourselves to God. Mm, that's where we started, isn't it? 
submit yourselves to God and resist the devil because he will flee from you. You know, I get people who try to spend a lot of time teaching how we overcome the enemy. The scripture is simply clear, resist the devil. Stand up against him. You know, in my years of ministry under communism, you, you will never know. People will never know because communism is so far in the past, those years or so, 30, 40 years in the past. But I literally had to fight all the way. I resisted the opposition. I can remember the time under communism, it was in Bulgaria, I'd seen a tremendous move of the Holy Spirit in the media, under communism, in the church. And I said to the pastors, we have to take a stadium. And he said, you can't. It belongs to the Communist Party. Well, I said, let's try. So we went to talk to the directors of the stadium and they said, no, you cannot rent this stadium for religion, for what you're going to do with evangelism. It belongs to the Communist Party, and we direct as our members of the Communist Party, we have to do what we are told. We cannot do this. But, you know, I was fighting because I, I had... The only way I ever succeeded in evangelizing under communism is by fighting, literally. And I remember saying, Lord, I want this stadium. Change these men. And after some long time of them repeatedly saying, no, we cannot rent you the stadium. It belongs to the Communist Party, not us. We belong to the Communist Party. We can't do it. Suddenly, just so suddenly, I'll never forget it. It was such a moving experience. When I was saying, Lord, I want the stadium, change these men. They suddenly looked at us and said, we can't rent it to you, but there is nothing to stop us giving it to you for nothing. <laughs> I can remember those words in the Russian, this platinum, without money. And we got that stadium and the result was that in the four days we were in that stadium, the Holy Ghost came down so powerfully and revival spread and swept right through the whole country under communism. Why? Because I was resisting the devil. And he will flee from you. The devil is so frightened of you when you stand up against him. And then he goes on in verse 8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. You make the choice. Come near to God. Come on, actively. Come on, actively. You've got to... It's Too many Christians are sitting back there just half asleep, I think. Come near to God. Search for God, and you will find him. The scripture is absolutely clear. The Lord says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, come on. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, double-minded. 
change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And when you humble yourselves before the Lord, he will lift you up. You know, too many people lift themselves up. And you know, there's a saying in the English language, I'm sure it's in other languages as well. Pride comes before a fall. And in so many cases where people are filled with pride, they lift themselves up, something goes wrong, and the higher you go, the further you fall. Yes, but the opposite is for you and me as a Christian. For he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And then we're moving on here in verse 11. Brothers, don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it. You're not keeping the law. You're sitting in judgment on the law. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. We must all appear before God's judgment on the day of his coming. And the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And then we're moving on, and I want to just cover this last part of the chapter in verse 13. We're changing completely now. And he says, now listen. You who say today or tomorrow we'll do this or that, how we will spend our money here or do this, we'll go on holiday here or we'll do this. And why do you say that? Mrs. Jane, she says, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You can make all the plans in the world, but only God knows. Uh, 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 what is your life, he says. You're like a mist appears for a little while and then vanishes. Or, as the scripture also says, you're like the grass in the field and when the sun comes up, it destroys it and kills it. Instead, you should submit yourself, it's saying in verse 15. You should say it's the Lord's will. If it is the Lord's will, we will do this. You know, it's very interesting because as I was growing up, I'm talking about 18 years ago, it was so much more common to actually say if the Lord will. In fact, people used to put it in, in, in a letter. They would put it and they used to abbreviate it in the, the Latin to DV Deus Villum. In other words, God wills. So if God wills, and you know, at the end of it, God is in control of your life and mine. And although we're facing an enormous problem at the moment with war in the Ukraine and now war in Israel, the fact is that God knows. God knows. And sometimes out of the greatest tragedy comes the greatest blessing. I mean, look at Israel. 
You know, I don't believe, and I'm sure I'm absolutely right in saying this, I love Israel, I support Israel, and I support the Jews. But if the Jews had not gone through the Holocaust, would they have ever had a nation of their own? Wasn't it the suffering, the struggle, the battle, that eventually they knew the only way they could live in peace was in their own nation? That's why... It's such a tragedy today that the devil is trying to destroy it. And, you know, it's the same in our lives, isn't it? If I look back at my life, I've had cancer twice. Why? People say, why, why did you have cancer? God, in both occasions, God used it to change my life. Why was it I was in prison? When I was in prison, you know, there I was, this Bible smuggler, this evangelist, and now I'm sitting in the prison, and the first question I was, why? And, you know, you can't help it. I said, why? Why am I in the prison? But without that prison experience, I wouldn't have the ministry that I've got today. And when I look back, even with the tragedies, the cancers, the prison, and other problems, God allowed out of that his purpose to happen. And when I look at what's happening in the world today, it is in preparation for the return of Christ and Christ's kingdom because the main message of Jesus was not just salvation, it was the coming kingdom. And let's realize that everything that's happening, whether it's the weather, whether it's the political whether it's military, whatever it is, God is in control. And out of all this, God will bring his kingdom on earth. And this is the message of Jesus. Don't look. I mean, Jesus didn't deal with the political issues. He, Jesus, when he was born and, and, and grew up, he lived in a nation that had been under... Uh, Greek control, now it was under Roman control. Um, slavery was the, the name of the game, as they say, because uh, the majority of people in, uh, in, 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 in the Roman Empire were slaves. But Jesus didn't look at that. He looked at his coming kingdom, and the message of Jesus is the kingdom of God. Oh, God bless you. Amen. My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. When you are committed to and support the gospel, then stand on this promise that when you give to the extension of the kingdom, God will supply all your need. Jesus called it giving and receiving. This year God has given us wonderful opportunities to preach the gospel in Armenia, Georgia and Poland. And we continue to support Ukraine by distributing humanitarian and spiritual aid. For 12 months, our staff have helped the displaced, vulnerable and injured, supplying food and medicines. To make a donation, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash donation.